Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about business models. So in a recent episode, the term business model came up and it's one of those things where I've always felt like, eh, I kind of know it when I see it. But if you had to ask me for a definition, I I would stumble for sure. I was like, well, where does the business model end? And things like your values and your lifestyle choices and your just your your sort of personal um, nuances or predilections for a solo business, you know, it's like where does the business model end and where does, does the the personal preferences begin? And so we sort of looked into it a little bit and wanted to come up with a, a solid definition. And also uh, the the thing that the reason why I think this is important is because I've, I often in telling people about, I'm often suggesting that people pick a niche market or some kind of specialization where it just makes it easier to write all of your marketing copy and to reach people and connect with them because you can use the language of the group. Um, you know, so for example, if you didn't decide literally what country you were going to focus on, you would have to you know publish your marketing materials in like a hundred different languages. But if you at least pick English-speaking languages or Spanish-speaking countries, then you could say, okay, I'm going to focus on that kind of language. But that's just at the very highest comical level. If you get way down into like live event producers, they've got their whole, they've got a whole world of lingo that, that you could use to indicate to them that you are a specialist in their market, that you understand them because you know what a feed point is or whatever. And, but, but so, okay. So people usually like, okay. Um, but which one should I, I pick? And I said, well, pick one that you want to help. And then they'll say, well, I want to help animal shelters, but they, or whatever, but they haven't got enough money to afford my services. And then my reaction is, well, sell them something besides services. <laughs> because in the fundamental proposition here is that services are really expensive to deliver. Perhaps one of the most, you know, assuming, you know, outside of maybe the construction space where you've got like, like physical construction space where you've got a lot of materials too. But in terms of knowledge work, selling services is like the most expensive thing you can do. So you're forced as the seller to set your price high enough that it's worth doing. You know, if it's if if you can only charge a hundred dollars for like a Facebook clone because because your your target market can't afford more than a hundred dollars, that's not a profitable situation for you. So you won't be able to keep coming back every day to do more work. You'll you'll run out of money. So the thing that I try to get people to recognize is that selling services is the most expensive thing to deliver. Therefore, their prices have to be really high. Therefore, they, they are really setting the bar high for them to be able to be able to find customers who are going to benefit so much from the service that the value is just way over and above the cost to the seller. So the buyer's value or what it's worth to the buyer needs to be, let's just say, astronomical. And then you can charge a really nice, healthy, profitable fee and still be making money selling this very expensive to deliver thing services. But, you know, if, you know, maybe animal shelters or other nonprofits or, or homeless people or whatever, you know, some, some sectors don't have a lot of money. So they can't, you, you just can't afford, you can't make a profit selling them services. So sell them something else. You can take your expertise and package it in other ways that that are cheap to deliver, inexpensive for you to deliver, like an ebook or a video course or uh, a single phone call 
or these things like that, info products, productized services that you can deliver much more inexpensively. So the cost to you to deliver it is very low, which basically means it takes you very little time. But the value to the buyer is greater than the price. So you can set a price that's profitable to you and profitable to the buyer. Okay, so long story short, <laughs> is that so? What got us talking about this, I think, um, before the show is like, is that a business model change? So if you, if you, in addition to selling services, and now let's say you start adding products, is that a business model change? Yes. Yeah. I, I think it is. I mean, and I, I don't know if we exactly said this before the show, but when we were talking about it, I mean, I use the words business model all the time. And so we were talking about what did we think it meant? And I said, you know what? We should look it up. Like, what's the <laughs> yeah. actual definition? Yeah, yeah. So, so here's the definition. A design, keyword, for the successful operation of a business, identifying revenue sources, what you were just talking about, customer base, products, and details of financing, which is more about, you know, if, if you need startup capital to start your business. So yeah. in, in the example you describe, the reason why that feels like a business model change is because you have to have a different kind of audience to sell those products to. You've got to have a bigger audience. So if you're selling expensive services, maybe you could do you could have, I have many clients like this that have like three to five clients in any given year, and that's all they have. Yeah, and that's how I used you know, to. Yeah, very high end, you know, but to do something where you're selling, you know, a $300 product or a $700 product, you've got to have a lot more people in your, uh, your pipeline who can buy this. So it changes, if you think about it, it changes a lot ultimately about who you reach out to and how you deliver. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if you're at all geographically focused now, if you're thinking about making a change like that, you, you ungeographically focus because all of a sudden the world is your oyster. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I love that definition. Like when you, when you uh, read that, I was like, yes, that is, that's what I would have said if I was smarter. <laughs> Both of us, yeah. <laughs> and so I think maybe it's a, uh, I think it's kind of important to to explicitly think about if you're if you're imagining um, a change to your business. Let's just say that. Let's say you're imagining a change, and you're like I was. I was selling very high ticket services to a very small number of clients every year, and and it was and, and it was recurring. It was you know by the end it was all recurring revenue. So I had a recurring revenue subscription model uh, that was, you know, five figures a month. So that's fairly, it's not Netflix. It's like pretty expensive. So when I, you know, had a life change, now kid number two can't travel as much, um, didn't want to speak at conferences, didn't want to write any more tech books. So those were, those were all personal decisions that like I could have kept writing tech books. I actually canceled one contract I had for one and I could have kept flying around. I could have kept speaking at conferences, but I was like, eh, I feel bad. Like leave my wife home with two little kids. Uh, I, I miss them. Imagine that. So I didn't want to, didn't, I was like, so person, so it was a personal change, but it turned into a business change because I was like, okay, it, uh, because like you said, it's like when you, when you read that definition, I you kind of picture like an internal combustion engine. Like I pictured like an internal combustion engine. It's like gas comes in here, it goes over there, a spark causes an explosion that pushes the pistons and the, it turns the axle. And it's like, okay. Uh, and I, I was like, it was like, I switched over to, you know, like 
like a propane engine or something, I, I cha completely changed the intake from uh, from these sort of like uh, conference book tour type of thing into really, I mean, blogging, basically blogging and podcasting to a totally different audience. So it's like a different kind of I'm not sure who the people are in the, in the metaphor. I, I think they're the gas, honestly. And uh, maybe not, but <laughs> but, <laughs> but at any rate, it was a major shift. But, but here's the thing. At the time, I knew I knew I was making a fundamental shift. I knew I was switching audiences. That's why I created a second yes. website because yeah. I still had old audience going to jonathanstark.com and new audience was starting to come there. And it was like, wait a minute, is this the right website? I remember that. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So... That so I think that's an extreme example. That was a that was a complete pivot. But I think I think you can start to add things. Mm, I guess so. I think there's a difference between like completely changing from gas to propane, from gasoline to propane, versus you know adding a four banger carburetor on top of the existing engine. <laughs> Okay, we're past my ability to do engine yeah. metaphor. I don't even know what I'm talking about. I had a friend in high school that was a motorhead, so I'm kind of reaching back 30 years. But the the idea is you can customize an engine without fundamentally changing it. But I, I fundamentally changed my business model. But I think you can customize. You could definitely customize your engine, uh, and, and perhaps in advance of a potential complete pivot. So maybe let's leave the engine metaphor behind. But but. If you get more, let's say you're, you're doing a service business and you make your primary income through selling services and whether you do it by the hour or some other way, retainer or like by the project, then, you know, and maybe you wrote a book and that's how you got well known and were able to hard, charge higher fees. But maybe you start taking the book thing a little bit more seriously. You know, maybe instead of thinking of it as a business, 300 page business card, you start thinking of it as like a profit center and you purposely do it in a way that's going to give you like a, a non-trivial monthly income, right? That you're going to scale up and may, And if you were doing that, and we've talked about this before on like, should you publish a book episodes? But if you were going to do that, if, if you were going to do it without thinking about it too hard, you might just keep going with the same publisher and make 10 cents a book or you might think about it a little harder and say, you know, it'll be more work up front to publish this myself, but I'll be making $50 a book instead of 10 cents or a dollar a book. So it's like, huh, okay, well, if this is, if I'm doing this not as a 300 page business card, but to actually create meaning, you know, pay my mortgage every month so I can not even have to worry about that anymore, then maybe you'd make a, a tactical decision to self-publish, for example. And if you did that a few times, all of a sudden you might be like, you know, you do that like twice a year for a couple of years and you're like, huh, I'm making like five, 10,000 bucks a month from selling eBooks. Uh, that's pretty cool. Um, it's not yet what I'm making from my service business, maybe not even close, but the writing, but perhaps you see the writing on the wall and you're like, but wow, that money is like free money. It's like, I wake up and I have more like more money <laughs> and then you and you've got something to compare it to like where you're you're doing client work and and you wrote a book two years ago that's still still paying dividends it's kind of like wow maybe i should make a complete leap into you know a, just a different kind of business model 
like change the way the engine works. Well, and I want to make sure we're not mixing up kind of business model and revenue model. Okay. Right. So maybe like an example might be like a typical client of mine will have uh, consulting, speaking books. Right. And if you think about the business model is this is the audience, right? So they're going to define who that audience is. These are the three ways I'm going to make money. And, and within the business model, they could decide that consulting is all them or they have some leveraged model to deliver services. Mm-hmm. And then so the, so the way they might morph in the way that you're talking about might be the book example. Okay. So I want to do more speaking and I feel like I need a book on this big idea I have in order to power the speaking. So I'm going to write mm-hmm. a book. So yeah, they yeah. spend time doing that. And then when they do the first one, it's kind of like what you said. All right, let's, you know, get it conventionally published or even self-published, but hosted on Amazon. Let me get the word out. Let me start that. And then what might happen is the core business model might stay the same for a while anyway. The revenue model might change. So all of a sudden they say, okay, so I've got some trivial income from books but it's powering non-trivial income in my speaking yep and so you look at you know how do you look at the revenue mix how are you going to make money now when you when you if you get to the point where you want to shift your business model then it might say you know what i don't really want to do consulting anymore i want to keep writing books and i want to do speaking Mm-hmm. Same audience, or maybe if you're tweaking the audience, you might, you know, get either maybe a little bit wider or a little bit uh, narrower, a little bit more niche. So it's like, I feel like it's an organic process. You know, we start in one place because we kind of have to plant the flag and say, this is what we're going to do. Right. But then, you know, your preferences and what the marketplace is telling you, and sometimes luck, right? Sometimes you put a a lot of work into a book and it just sits there for a while and then something happens like an external event or some quote unquote celebrity in your field decides to talk about it and all of a sudden you're getting sales and attention. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's a very organic kind of a thing. Yes, it, ca- it certainly can be. Uh, I can't think of an example of someone I worked with well, maybe one that that just straight up was like, nope, not doing this anymore. Hard pivot uh, into something uh, fundamentally different. But is the revenue model different? Is the revenue model different? It is actually the revenue model. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she changed her revenue model too. Like the whole, she's just like, nope, yeah. doing this. It's very rare. It's very rare for someone to not need to kind of have some evidence that it's going to work, which would be that, you know, like, like that point where you're like, geez, um, selling these, you know, th- this like this book money is low at first, but man, it's so great. <laughs> 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 I just love this free money, um, so that you can be like, well, okay, I, I, it's, I've proven to myself that it can work. So now, how it's kind of like going from zero to one. Like before, you had a book, yeah. it was all client work income, and like you're sick, you don't get paid, and you know, you write a book and then all of a sudden you write your first book and you like get, you know, even with a publisher and, you know, like monthly or quarterly, you get a check out of nowhere. Like, oh yeah, I forgot I wrote that book. (laughs) Sweet. Yep. Royalties. Yeah. Completely different kind of money. uh, Totally different kind of experience. So I feel like most people need to kind of prove to themselves that it's possible or that it's possible for them or, you know, they've got what it takes to make that happen. Uh, So I, I think it's fine to like experiment with, you know, low risk 
situations. And in fact, we've been talking about books a lot, but in fact, I usually, when I'm working with like, uh, you know, typical independent software developer who's doing pretty well revenue wise, but they see the writing on the wall. They're just like this. I'm never going to make more than $300,000 a year if I keep doing this. Like that's nothing to sneeze at, but it's a lot of work. And you know, you're, you're well, working and all depending the time. on whether they still love the work too, there's that piece. That too. Yeah. But it, there's a ceiling uh, for, for different industries. Yeah. There's like, you know, if I'm talking about hourly rate people, like there's a ceiling mm-hmm. for what you can charge per hour. And the higher you raise that number, the probably the fewer billable hours you're going to work, which is fine because then maybe you're working a 20 hour week. But if you want to get through that, that income ceiling, it's good. You know, you got to create some kind of leverage somewhere. Yes. And there's a variety of ways you can do that. But I usually, when I'm working with someone like that and like, I got to get out of this rat race, I got to do something different. I need to create leverage. I want recurring revenue or I want, I want passive income. I'm usually not going to have them write a book first because they usually don't know what the book should be. Yeah. They're not sure who it's for. They've got, they maybe have some ideas, but none of them are really standing out and it's just not obvious. And uh, so usually what I would say is like a great, um, a great way to figure that out with the least amount of effort, least amount of ramp up, because it'd take you like a solid six months to write a book. Um, But you could, most people that I work with, have enough experience in their area of expertise that they can spin up a, you know, a two, three, four day training workshop or some kind of workshop in like a week Mm -hmm. where they're like, they're like, you know, well, what are you an expert at? And they'll say like, oh, I don't know, like, uh, continuous deployment. It's like, okay, well do a, just, just did something similar with one of my students where it was like, all right, well schedule make the outline. Like, what's the outline? Let's say you had five days, an hour a day to teach me about your area of expertise. Do you know what you would put in it? Oh yeah, totally. Okay. What would it be? Boom, 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 boom. Five, one hour column webinar type things. Just put up a sign up page, have people come do like a free five day video kind of webinar thing and everything gets recorded and it, and you get live reaction from the students so it it's kind of like the it's kind of like when you're writing a book you it's really hard to get live feedback as you're writing it you know <laughs> yeah but when you're teaching the same material or when you're teaching material you you get tons of feedback even if it's remote you still get tons of feedback you get mm-hmm. Q&A and you're like oh you're right I did gloss over that or I didn't define that term before I used it the kind of things that will kill a book but you can you can you know salvage in a workshop because it's live Mm-hmm. And you take all that information, you start selling the workshop, you see if it gets any traction. And then you're like, oh, well, this audience who who is currently affording this $250, call it $250 workshop, um, there's probably, you know, for every one of them, there are probably 10 people that can't afford it, at least, that might be interested. So now I'll write a book because I can sell the book for 25 bucks and uh, and broaden out that way. So anyway, a little bit of a tangent here, but what I'm talking about is like, is like, packaging your expertise in a completely different way. It's the same expertise, but you're packaging it in a way that the delivery is inexpensive. So it's inexpensive for you to sell. Once it's created, once you create a course or a book, once it's created, it's very inexpensive for you to sell, you know, the next one. So that to me, that's like a, for folks who are maybe listening to this and like thinking like, Oh, maybe I would experiment with something like that. Maybe I do see that, that, the the income ceiling on pure services and I, I don't want to hire a bunch of people and create leverage that way so yeah yeah maybe I'll maybe I'll 
create an info product. Well, and that's where, you know, I keep coming back to audience development because a lot of times what you want to do is you want to take a flyer the first time. You say, oh, well, I, if I create this workshop and I have, you know, I have a, a, a list of a couple hundred people, um, you know, you probably only need, you know, five or six to take the workshop to get the feedback that you want and to start to feel good about it. Mm -hmm. But then if that's what you're going to go for, chances are you need to develop your audience in a different way. So you want to learn. And these are in lockstep in my mind. It's so, so as you do each thing, you're going to learn who's your ideal audience for this thing. Mm-hmm. Like, what do they have in common? What about this makes it really attractive? And then you can go find more of those people, assuming that you, you know, you like the way this is going. Um, and you see, I mean, once you start seeing leverage, it's kind of hard to unsee it. Yeah. You get pretty excited by it. Yeah. So then you say, so, so how do I develop more of this audience? And where do I do that? Like, do I change? How I email? Do I change my welcome sequences? Do I change what I'm saying in social? Do I get more strategic and more aggressive in Twitter or LinkedIn? You know, it, it just makes you, uh, that's why I keep going back to organic. It just makes you look at everything a little bit differently. And that's, I think that's kind of the magic of this is, yep. is the business model doesn't have to be this static, you know, formal, I would argue it should be formal as it, as in you write it down and you know what it is. Yeah, explicit, but yeah. Yeah, you, but you, it doesn't have to be this big, scary thing that you have to stay with forever. This experimentation is what makes it, provided you don't frustrate yourself by not also looking at your audience in lockstep with the change in product. Yeah, right. So I'm a I'm a big fan of, well, before I even say that, I think part of the the benefit of doing these little experiments and you know it, it's beneficial in the sense that it's low risk it's not going to cost you a lot of money to do you know five webinars next week and maybe get a course out of it but the i think an additional benefit of doing it in a phased it's kind of like a phased approach where you're like mm, i'm going to do you know in 2021 i'm going to release a course maybe maybe by the by the first half of 2021 i'm going to release release a course if that shows any signs of life, I'm going to write a book based on the course in the second half of the year. Let's just say that's like your mm-hmm. experiment. Okay. It gives you time for your identity to catch up with your brain. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> because it could be that you're slowly changing from a software developer or a dev shop into a trainer, <coughs> Or it, it could ultimately, two or three years down the road, you might find yourself in a very different place, which is the point. The idea is that you're, you're seeing uh, that you're trapped, you're stuck, you're at a plateau, and you want to do something about it. And so maybe these are the kinds of things you could do, you know, course, and then maybe a book Mm -hmm. or whatever. And then, you know, two or three years down the road, you'll be in a completely different place. And that, well, let me put it like this, you'll won't be trapped anymore. The, The, the thing that hangs people up is that, I don't want to be trapped anymore, but I also don't want to change anything. (laughs) (laughs) I fear change. (laughs) Right. I fear change. I want things to be better, but not different. Well, better is different. So, (laughs) so the thing that, the thing that will sneak up and bite some people, it definitely, it it definitely was something I wrestled with a little bit, not too much, but it wrestled with a little bit was the identity shift from like, I'm not a web developer anymore to, you know, a new thing. Business coach. Mm -hmm. Wait, that sounds fake. (laughs) <laughs> right 
So like a web developer, it's sort of like an engineering mindset or any kind of software developer. And you can like see, look, I, you know, it's virtual, it's digital, but you build stuff and there it is and it works. It's like, it's, it's as intangible as it is. It's more tangible than like coaching people. Oh yeah. Yeah. Pretty much everything is. Yeah, (laughs) pretty much. (laughs) So anyway, this slow phased approach and is doing these experiments, you know, they're kind of like side hustles off the edge of your business. And if you start to see like, oh, wow, this, I like the way this feels. I enjoy creating these materials. I really like money rolling in when I get out of bed. Um, You know, like my phone dinging all night long with like sales. So you're like, oh, wow, this is pretty cool. This is pretty cool. And then at some point, a lot of people have this create this like panic moment. Like, but wait a second, I'm turning into a teacher. Yuck. (laughs) Teachers, you know, if you can't do teach, it's like, and then all of those like stigma type stuff comes in like this, all this ego identity stuff crops up. So I think doing it in a slow way that kind of like eases you into the pool can help it, you know, in a, a variety of ways, including the psychological identity shift. Yeah, you know, as you were saying that, I was thinking of archetypes. It's like, um, I think it was Kristen Smedley we had on who said when, you know, she'd always imagined herself as a teacher. And then she had her her two blind children who required a lot of attention. And then she wound up really getting excited about how blind people could actually see differently. Mm -hmm. And so she got herself involved in that. And she really became a teacher, not in front of a classroom, but a teacher about this big idea. So it's, I think when we start to think about what we're doing archetypally, it gets more comfortable. And um, so, and I don't know if software development is an archetype, but there's an engineer archetype that might fit for some people but there's probably also developers who are really have always been about the teaching you know maybe they managed groups of developers and they help them figure it out and they like you know mentoring people so there's there's multiple archetypes nobody is just one right yeah that's yeah go ahead no, I was just going to say, I think if you start to think about it that way and you think about the things that you do that other people really value and you really enjoy, there's something else there besides maybe the label that you have on your bottle. Right. Yeah, that's totally true. And the ones, as you were saying that, I was like, yep, there's definitely teacher ones. I, I encounter a lot of software developers that are also have an innate desire to teach. Uh, there are also ones who are, are actually natural business people. And don't, mm-hmm. and those are the ones, those like the, the teacher ones immediately Wes boss comes to mind. He's well, well known in the software space as like a training course guy. And then there are ones that are, that are entrepreneurial and don't, they just see the coding as like an end, a means to an end. And mm-hmm. they, they are much more interested in the business model piece and like, and how to automate this. And like, they, they don't care at all about switching from, you know, Python to Ruby or from, they don't care. That's like, well, whatever. Like they don't, they don't get their, their knickers in a twist about spaces versus tabs, like meaningless to them. And they're really focused on like, like, uh, creating systems and automation of their own business. And then kind of like doing not the bare minimum, but, but not over delivering to clients who aren't asking, you know, over delivering stuff that people don't even want. Which is like yes. a, a really common thing for the engineer that, like, to do. Craftsman, artisan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want this to be perfect. Yeah, I want this to be even perfecter than they want or need. Yes. <laughs> and therefore, it's six months late and fifty percent over budget. 
Um, and then there's uh, the other style is the marketer is like, like software developers who I only know two of these, um, but they, they, uh, they don't like being so far downstream from the big decisions. So mm. they, they move upstream and the, the, the move upstream is to, you know, either architecture or sales or marketing and getting out in front of the process so that they can finally escape from the, you know, the, the like, okay, here's what we want you to do. And you're like, that's a dumb way to do it. And they're like, that decision's already been made. Do you want to do it or not? You know, so they yeah. want to get into the discussion earlier and that's sales. <laughs> so, or marketing, you know, even before sales. So those are, so for any, anyway, the reason why I went through that is because there's probably a lot of software developers listening and maybe they'll identify that other label that's on their bottle that they never noticed. Yeah. And I mean, I also think that there are different ways to start a business too. I mean, cause we're talking a lot about sort of morphing the business model, but I'm thinking we have a lot of listeners oh, who yeah. talked about, um, you know, they started the business by they left their employer and maybe they took an assignment from the employer to start their first yes. freelance. Classic. But, th- but then when I had my business, one of the kinds of people that I had on contract a lot were the people who hated to sell themselves, but they mm-hmm. were really good. And so, um, they, like one of them, we were like half of her work. Like if something yeah. happened to us, she was in serious trouble. Yeah, but you were she, the real client. Yeah, but so so what we did is is you know if you think about it, like making a product is we outsourced the making of the product, and then we added you know our profit on top of that, and then delivered that. So there's models like that, um, and not that I'm recommending. Um, it worked great for me as a as a business owner, and because she was so good and she was very specialized, we didn't need her all the time. And she wanted her own business; she didn't want to come in and be an employee. So it it was a win win for everybody. You know, not a great. I would not have wanted to have her business, but it worked really well for her. Right. So all of a sudden, she gets fifty percent of her work without having to really you know fight for it. She right. just gets it, and she's appreciated. Yeah, I love that point. I love the idea of like someone listening to this who's still uh, like a full time, got a full time job and just starting clean. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. Oh, yeah. And and so like thinking about the the business model is hopefully, hopefully hearing this, I feel like we've covered a lot of of fairly subtle things like some like, er, like these are all subtle and in that sense kind of hard to make a decision about maybe but but spending a little time thinking about like okay you know back to that definition of the business model like thinking about that very straightforward dictionary definition of the business model that you read and just being like okay well where would my customers come from like what would i sell to them products services something in between uh, a mix uh, what what would the price points be? What would what would that audience support? Like, what sort of price points would that audience be able to afford? How would I create those things in a way that would be profitable to me? You know, and like, would my would my business be more about selling low price things to lots of people or high price things to not very many people? And uh, I suppose, I guess, most of those. I think you can make a million dollars in pretty much any of those ways mm-hmm. with the, yeah, pretty much any way you can make tons of money, like plenty of money to live off of. So I th- probably it's 
gonna be take some self-awareness if you're just starting from scratch i mean you just take some self-awareness and be like well what are my strengths um what what kinds of things do i enjoy doing and you know maybe optimizing your business model for those things and then anything that's required by the business model that you're not great at you figure out how to shore up that deficiency either by hiring or i don't know i don't it depends on what it is but yeah um, outsourcing it or yeah outsourcing it. it is a really good idea most of the time if it's something you really suck at <laughs> yeah like a like i couldn't like the absolute worst i would i would rather walk over broken glass than look at my books it's like just like dealing with receipts and accounting and all of that stuff i can't force myself to do it so obviously i'm going to outsource that mm-hmm. i don't i don't really have many i have no contracts really to look at anymore but if i ever had a contract to look at i wouldn't look at it i just send it to my lawyer it's like those I feel are, that way about wordpress development <laughs> right like so those are i mean i have those are obvious deficiencies like i can't, you couldn't pay me to do that stuff there's no amount of money on earth that mm-hmm. would make me able to like go through bank statements it just can't happen so you know it, and like you said wordpress maybe maybe wordpress is your thing actually i, I would that might even be less attractive to me than <laughs> <laughs> i just i don't want to i mean if if it's cut and paste i'm fine anything more than that i just don't want to touch it <laughs> don't want to deal with it no yeah no i'm glad wordpress exists but i don't want to touch it um, but anyway so if you're if you're starting clean maybe spend a couple hours on a weekend thinking about these sorts of things rather than what I think most people do or certainly what I did was just just be like ah, I'm sick of this job I'm gonna leave <laughs> <laughs> you know just like I don't know I guess I'll just keep doing what I'm doing now and like I guess clients magically show up other people freelance there must be you know I mean, a lot of people do that. They just like, uh, yeah. take this job or, and shove it and they tell all their friends and their friends are like, hey, does anybody need a copywriter? Yeah, Alice or they don't free. have a choice, which happened a lot this last year. That's for know? sure, yeah. Yeah, and so you're out there. But I think that some people like do this serious think of the business model up front. I mean, mm-hmm. not everybody by any stretch of imagination. I did in my first business because I'd never started a business and I wanted to do it with other people. So I had to figure it out because I had to attract them. Mm-hmm. And if I went, I don't know what it's going to look like. You know, probably nobody was going to come with me. Right. So, you know, you go through that process. But I think what's more typical is you do what you described, you know, take this job and shove it or oops, I lost my job. I'm not going to take another job. I'm going to start something. And then you start freelancing and you do it and maybe you like it. But then you at some point, whether it's because you're on this hamster wheel of working like crazy and making your $300,000 a year or you're not sure where your next project is coming from it's the opposite it's this kind of feast famine oh. feeling and yeah. that's the point when a lot of people stop and say hmm maybe i want to look at this differently and i love the idea because for the most part we're talking about solo businesses yeah. i just love the idea of really looking at it from your strengths not your weaknesses but your strengths what do you love to do um and that people value Okay, so if you love to do yoga, well, that may people probably don't put a huge price tag on that. They might if you create it, but they're you're really looking at where do your talents and passions overlap with a market for what you're doing. Yeah. And that's what allows you to start the process of really getting clear on your audience. And you know, some people just get it, boom, done. I know who my audience is. Other people need to work through it a little yeah. while. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's totally true. Like, uh, it's but it's and it's a small number. Like a, a small percentage of people I talk to are just like a hundred percent. I know exactly who to sell to. I know exactly what they want. Mm-hmm. I'm in communities with them all over the place. I used to be one. I you know, and they just know exactly. And they're like, and there's this huge gap in the market. Nobody's doing it, and all they need help with is like. Is like how how do I fill the gap? Like I see the gap, right. I see the issue, I see the problem. I under, I know people are like dying. They're like pulling out their wallets and like, please take my money to make this pain go away. But maybe they don't know exactly how to. Like I see the gap, but I don't know how to get across it. I don't know how to bridge mm-hmm. it. Right. So okay, that's a way easier problem to solve than like I don't know who I want to sell to. And that I mean, almost every I've said this before, but it's it has not stopped. If anything, it's gotten more severe. When people join my mailing list, they get they get this automatic question that's like, you know, what does success look like for your business, or you know, what's your current biggest business challenge, depending on which list they come through, and and almost almost without fail, I would say ninety nine times out of a hundred, people will say something like. I want more clients who value what I do and are willing to pay, you know, some amount of money uh, for my services. More better clients. More better clients. Yeah. And I'm like, great. What kind? And then I'll email back. I'm like, oh, that's a great answer. Like, um, what kind of clients are your ideal clients? Like, what's better? Like, what is a better client look like? And 99 times out of 100, they're like, I don't know. I'm like, well, it's no wonder you can't find them if you don't know who you're looking for. It's like, it's like, honey, do you know where my is? It's like, your what is? Where your what is? I don't know. Do you know where it is? Of course you can't find it. You don't know what you're looking for. <laughs> this sounds like a conversation I have with my husband. You know yeah. that thing? The Where's thing? That Where's that thing? thing I'm looking for. <laughs> what thing? I don't know. What does it look like? I don't know. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, and that's, I mean, I think that's like a way up front. If you can answer that you're way ahead of the pack for sure. So like if you if you know who you want to serve, then that's your starting point. And and I guess the kind of to bring it back to the my soapbox at the beginning, just because they can't afford your pricey services doesn't mean you should doesn't you, you know, you could pick a different target market that can afford your services or you could come up with something to sell them that they can afford that still exactly. is based on your expertise and is just less expensive to deliver than, you know, luxury, high-priced services that you would prefer to sell. You know, I'm thinking if you're grappling with that issue, the product and service ladder episode we did, I think we walked through that creation process. I'm sure we did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would check that out if somebody wants more. Yep. And I just did a, if you if you go to my website or if you're on my mailing list, I just did an article that that made this click for a lot of people. I think the title is $10,000 wedding cake or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sylvia yeah. Weinstock, right? <laughs> she, uh, she makes she makes $10,000 plus wedding cakes. I, I didn't know about that one. Cake Boss yeah. makes $15,000 wedding cakes. And I'm, I'm sure if Martha Stewart was going to do your wedding cake, it would cost 50000 And, you know, anyway. Sure. Yeah. So it's like if you're an amazing... The, well, I don't want to... I, I won't ruin the story. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> Yeah, but but the the core point is that you can make the money that you want to make in a business if you figure out the right way to put it together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, easy, easy peasy, easy peasy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny. It's 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 always easier from the outside of the bottle. 
right? Because when you're when you're looking at someone, it's really easy to see where things are all aligned and where things like just don't make sense. Mm-hmm. It's it's harder when you're doing it for yourself. I know. Yeah, it's way harder. Yeah, yeah. Even if you do this for a job, it's like you still want to get. You can't, yeah, that's the, that's the cliche, right? You can't read the label from inside the bottle, mm-hmm. but everybody, literally everyone else who's outside the bottle can just tell you what it says. Yeah. I mean, you know, there was something that, uh, happened the other day. There was, uh, one of these local, um, uh, like next door Facebook kind of groups, yeah. uh, in my neighborhood, somebody went on there and in a very vulnerable way said something like, I'm in a bad place. I really need a life coach. Do you have any recommendations? And what was fascinating? And I read them on purpose. I wanted to see what people would say. There was everything from somebody said, I think what you need is a friend and I'll go for a bike ride with you. Hmm. And, and there were a couple like that. And then there was somebody who said, Oh, you need so and so who teaches yoga and Pilates. And then a yoga master came on and said, oh, I do this. And then somebody else said, I mean, I didn't even know what this was. I, I can't remember what it was called. It was some kind of a process. I do that. So like everybody was coming with their version of their tool. Mm-hmm. You know, here's my hammer. And um, and then somebody else said, oh, you know, you really need so-and-so. They're, and the, the person that specifically said, I don't want a therapist. I want a life coach. I know you said you don't want a therapist, but this person is a therapist and a life coach. And it just struck me like that's what people think about when they try to decide to hire somebody like you, right? They're asking other people and people are giving them all these like weird things. Yeah, it, yeah. Because we're all doing it from our own perspective of what that person needs. So, Oh boy, you just spawned a whole new episode idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was just thinking me. about it when you were talking before. I'm like, boy, this reminds me of that. And it's just, it was so funny. I mean, I actually, I, I chuckled more than a few times reading some of the responses. Yeah, it sounds like some serious man, mansplaining going on there. <laughs> But regardless of gender, <laughs> there's plenty going on in there. But the thing that I, I found so interesting was that the person that posed the question was being very vulnerable mm-hmm. and doing it in a, just a really transparent, I thought, powerful way. And um, But it was just, it, I think that's why people responded the way they did. They were just enamored of the openness about mm. this. But then they came up with these bizarre ideas. Yeah. <sighs> I know. Well, let's keep that thought for another episode. Yes, yes. I'll write it down. Put it in the Slack room because neither one of us is going to (laughs) remember. Exactly. (laughs) Cool. Have we beaten it to death? I think think it's dead. All right. Sorry, horse. (laughs) No horses were harmed in the making of this episode. (laughs) All right, folks. That's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.